Man, what a blessing to be here on Baptism Saturday night, man. I could just sit here and listen to them tell stories about Jesus Christ all night long, couldn't you? Unfortunately, though, you're, you're stuck with me. So let me give you the quick background about how I ended up here. Jamie runs this uh, monthly meeting with all the young pastors, which somehow, by the grace of God, I got invited to. And we get to hang out with Jamie uh, once a month and just ask him anything we want to know. Anything about ministry, anything about the church, how the church runs, uh, anything that Jamie has on his heart, he shares with us. And we just get to glean all these little pearls of wisdom from our pastor, which is awesome. And inevitably, somebody always ends up asking, hey, tell me how you study and prepare and prep for a sermon, and how did you get so good at what you do? And so he just begins to, to run through the litany of things that he does, and I will tell you this about our pastor, we never, ever, ever get cheated uh, when he brings the word. And that guy invests a ton of time into the word of God. And so he runs through all of his study tools and everything, and guys are just writing stuff down. And it's at the very end of his time that he goes, hey, and one last thing, guys, that I do. I never, ever, 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 gave up an opportunity to teach when I was growing up. When I was a young man, if they asked me to teach anywhere, if I was physically able to, I did it. I never, ever, ever said no. So I go back to my office. About an hour and a half later, I get an email from Jamie that says, hey, would you be available to teach on April 8th? And in my head, I'm thinking, this is totally a test. He sent this to everybody to find out who is paying attention. So I fire back, Jamie, I would never, ever, ever, ever pass up a chance to teach. Of course I would. And then he says, great, you're up. All right. So here I am. I'm here to be with you guys, and I'm super excited. We're going to have a lot of fun together. Hopefully, God will speak through us, and, and we'll get a chance to glean some great truth from his word tonight. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. So if you guys want to turn there, you can now. But let me set it up for you a little bit. We're going to look at the, the, the Palm Sunday, but Palm Saturday night for us, uh, entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. I got to set it up for you a little bit. Uh, Jesus is a, an absolute rock star at this time in his ministry. Okay. He, this is the pinnacle crescendo of his ministry here on, on earth. And in, he's just, he's a rock star. And so I want to kind of paint a picture for you. Anyone watch that series CNN did on like the sixties, the seventies and the eighties. They did these little like three-week series on each decade, and they always have one that, that focuses on music and how music shaped culture. And I remember watching it and seeing this picture of when the Beatles came to America. And they had these, this picture and this video of all these girls just lined up at the airport, and they're just like, ah, and girls are like passing out, fainting, because the Beatles are there. And they're just going, ah, the Beatles! That's kind of the setup and that's kind of the picture I want you to have when you think of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, okay? We know from censuses taken a little bit after the time of Jesus uh, that up to, up to two and a half million Jews would assemble upon Jerusalem at this time. So the city swells and just gets huge. And Jesus is a rock star and everyone just goes, ah, it's Jesus. And they come out to greet him and that's where our story is gonna kick off in Mark chapter 11, verse one. So let me pray real quick and then we'll look at our text and jump into tonight. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for the stories we got to hear tonight. God, for the testimony of so many young men and women of how you change lives and God, how we can sit in this room today as a new creation in you and we have hope in you. God, we're so grateful for that. God, I pray tonight for myself that you would help me communicate your word and your truth in a way that you would want me to. God, that your spirit would move on the hearts of everyone in here. God, you get rid of any anxiety or nervousness or fear. And God, you just let us focus on your word and what you'd have to say to us tonight. God, let us leave here changed people because we love you and we desire to become the men and women that you want us to be. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's pick it up here. Rockstar Jesus is entering into Jerusalem in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage at Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples 
and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt that is tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. He kind of plays the rock star card there a little bit, right? Jesus needs it. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, why are you doing this, untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Verse 8. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut down from the fields. And as they went before, those who were going before him and following after him were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, it was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the 12. You get the scene that's going on here? Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, and people are taking off their cloaks, throwing them down in front of him, climbing up trees, cutting down branches, putting them down there, because they're going, oh, it's Jesus! He's going to do what we want him to do. He's going to liberate us from the Romans. We're no longer going to be under this Roman oppression and everything is going on. And they are just, Hosanna, save us now, save us now. They are all in, all excited, fired up about Jesus. That's option one. Okay, we get that, that character in the story. Character two is Jesus comes in humbly riding on a donkey. He's not on a horse. He's not coming in as a military conqueror. He's just coming in on a lowly donkey, riding along, knowing with absolute certainty what's awaiting him five days from now. Right? He, he, there's four different accounts in the book of Matthew that talk about Jesus telling his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The Jews are going to arrest me. The Romans are going to persecute me. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going to ra raise from the dead. Four different times he tells his men what's going to happen. Don't think for a second Jesus doesn't know what's happening as he's riding in on this donkey and these crowds are going, Hosanna, oh, Jesus. He doesn't get caught up in that. So what happens? How do these people go from Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus, to crucify, crucify, five days later? Like what shifted? What changed? What happened in their life? I read this story and I get frustrated. I don't know if any of you guys are with me, but I read stories sometimes about the Pharisees. I read stories about the Jews in, in, the, in the New Testament. I just go, man, how did you guys not get it? How did you not see it? How did you miss everything that's going on? There's a little part of me that gets a little bitter and frustrated. Why did they give up on Jesus? Because they didn't get what they wanted. You see, what they wanted was someone to liberate them from the Romans. They wanted someone to lead them and rule the nation. Jesus comes in and he liberates them, not from the Romans, but from the sins of the world and saves mankind. But that's not what they were looking for. And so they turn on him. And the frustrating part of me, this is where I got to step aside a little bit and get off of my self-righteous high horse. And I begin to look at the story and I begin to think, Kevin, are you any different? How many times do I come here on a Sunday morning, I'm usually over in the venue and Derek's leading worship and I'm all in. It is well with my soul, Hosanna in the highest, all about Jesus, God, you are awesome. Singing these songs all about God. All excited about what God's doing in my life because right now my life is going really, really well. I come back the next Sunday and all of a sudden we're going through some stuff right now with my kids. That's causing some stress between me and my wife. So me and my wife are going a little sideways. I get emails all the time. I'm sure I'll get some this week about criticism and judgment about me and, and some of the decisions I make here. And so all of a sudden work goes a little sideways. 
get a little stressed out there. We don't make a ton of money as pastors. I have six kids, which means I got a lot of financial stress in my life. And I begin to look around me and I kind of get lost in the circumstances of my life. And I come in on a Sunday morning and Derek gets up there and goes, we're going to sing It Is Well With My Soul. And we're going to sing it 30 times because that's the hip thing to do now. And just repeat a chorus over and over and over again. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, it is not well with my soul. I may not be screaming, crucify you to Jesus Christ, but at best my fist is in the air and I'm upset and I'm angry because all of a sudden I've allowed my circumstances to dictate my view of who God is. And God is good when my circumstances are good. And if my circumstances aren't good, then I begin to question the goodness of God. And that's exactly what this crowd did. They thought they were going to get everything they wanted from Jesus. And if they did, they were all about him. And as soon as they don't get what they want from God, they turn on him. And they run away. And it goes from Hosanna to crucify. And so here's my question for you guys. Do we fall into that same trap? Hebrews 12.2 says, look, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I think when we do that, when we fix our eyes on our Lord and we're up here and we're all about, we're all about this relationship, then it doesn't matter what's going on down here. Everything's all right because I'm fixated on the Lord. But just like Peter, when he's walking on water, all of a sudden my eyes go from focused on the Lord to looking at the problems all around me. And all of a sudden, I begin to question the goodness of God. And I begin to wonder, God, are those promises you promised about me really true? And all of a sudden, it changes my perspective, and it completely dictates and changes how I interact with the world around me and how I respond to my Heavenly Father. So if you hear nothing else tonight, hear this. God is good regardless of your circumstances. Like regardless of what's going on around you, God is still good. If you don't get what you want from, from God, if your marriage is, is, is sideways a little bit right now and you're praying and asking God and God's still working on that and it doesn't work out the way that you want, God is still good. It doesn't change the goodness of God because if our circumstances change the goodness of God, then we've created a false God and that's not, not the God of the Bible. So our, God is good all the time regardless of our circumstances. The crowd didn't get that. God was good as long as they got what they wanted, not so much if they didn't. So I don't know where you're at and I don't know what you do with that. I don't know what circumstances are going on in your life right now, but I would challenge you, I'm gonna give you a moment here in just a little bit to just take whatever's going on in your life, whatever circumstances are going on and just lay those at the feet of the cross and go, God, I need to fix my eyes back on you because I've spent far too much time focused on what's going on around me and that's creating bitterness in my heart. That's causing estrangement from people in my life. Whatever that's causing, it's not of God. Fix your eyes on the Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith, and begin to watch God work stuff. We just got done doing this whole series on fall proof. It was awesome. But all of it was, was culminated from faith, right? Add to your faith virtue, goodness, self-control. Like if our faith in God gets, gets thwarted or, or, or off-centered at all, everything else kind of falls apart. That's why it starts with keeping your eyes fixated on Jesus Christ and focused on him and letting him worry about all the other stuff that's going on around you. God, it's me and you. That's what we've got to get to. That's a unwavering faith in Jesus Christ, an unwavering faith in God. And I think that's what we see in Jesus because he's the second part of our story. Okay, the crowd didn't get what they wanted from God and they turned on him because they were all about their circumstances. Jesus, on the other hand, walks in in humility and confidence into Jerusalem, surrounded by people that are gonna kill him, and he does it without blinking. How do you do that? How do you get to that point that you would walk into certain death and go, you know what? I don't wanna do this. I don't, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but God, I trust you. Because don't think for a second that Jesus was looking forward to what was about to happen. Right? We know from the book of Luke, at least three different times recorded, 
He prayed what in the garden? Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. God, if there's any other option, let's go with that because I'm not looking forward to what's coming on Friday. Yet not my will be done, but yours, right? So Jesus doesn't get what he wants either. He wants another way and God says no, but Jesus responds differently. Unlike the crowd that turn on God, Jesus responds with your will be done and I'm gonna trust you. How does he get there? How do we get to that point? Because that should be what we all aspire to get to, right? That no matter what happens in our life, we'd be so fixated on Jesus Christ and on our Savior that, that the world can't, de can't distract us, can't thwart us, can't move us away. Like, how do we get there? What did Jesus do to get there? Now, he was the son of God. He's got that on us, okay? So he's got an advantage. But there are some certain things that he did, some examples he left for us that I think we can glean, that we could, we could begin to invest in our own life. I've been reading through the Gospels. I'm about halfway through Luke right now. Uh, do you realize and understand how many times Jesus goes off into the wilderness? Or the, the ESV says to a desolate place. Or the NASB says to a secluded place. Do you realize how many times when the crowds gather around Jesus, they're out in the wilderness because they had to go find him? When he feeds the 5,000, it's not because they're in the city and they don't have any money. It's because they're out in the middle of nowhere because the crowds came out to find him. Jesus made a constant practice of sneaking off early in the morning to go find a desolate place to pray. In fact, this is Luke 5, 16. I think we have it up here on the screen. It says this. We did. There it is. But he, being Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places to pray. He would withdraw as a, like a continual action, not just one time. It's not like he went off one time in his ministry here. This is a repeated thing that he would do. He would sneak off to go pray to spend time with his heavenly father. Why would he do that? Because he realized if he took his eyes off of God for a moment, the circumstances of the world around him would distract him from what he was sent here to do. He had to keep his eyes fixated on the Lord. So he would find a desolate place to go pray. Here's my question for you. Do we have that? Do you have a desolate place? Do you have a place that you've committed to on a weekly basis that you sneak away from, you leave your phone behind, you turn off your internet, you do whatever it is you gotta do to just go spend time with the Lord and invest in your relationship with God? Here's what I know to be true. God is for us. God's never against us. God's not gonna forsake us. Those are all promises of God. Other promises of God, uh, we will endure suffering. Trials will come. We're to consider it all joy. Persecution is going to come because of our faith. Like there are hard things that are going to come to our life as Christians. That's a promise. If we're not ready for those things, they distract us. They wreck us. And all of a sudden we go from I'm all in on God to raising our fist at God and getting angry at God because we're not prepared for it. Let me illustrate it to you this way. If I said right now we're all going to stand up, we're going to walk out to the prayer garden, Neil's going to say go, and we're going to run a marathon. Straight to Tempe, right up Scottsdale Road, till we get 26.2 miles. There might be three of us in this crowd that could do it. <laughs> there would be one guy that would be throwing up before we got out of the parking lot, okay? Just Chipotle burrito would be everywhere. Like, I just couldn't do it. I haven't trained. I'm not prepared. I'm not ready to go do that. Some of you guys would get certain distance. Some of you guys get a little bit further, but, but we'd all kind of fall based on what we were prepared for. Here's my question for you. If, the, if God promises us that we're going to go through trying times, if God promises us that things are going to be difficult here sometimes on earth, why are we not preparing ourselves and training ourselves up and spending time with our Father getting ready for whatever the world throws at us? 
Sometimes, at least for me, I find myself going, well, I went to church and 45 minutes to an hour a week would be like if I ran for 10 minutes on a treadmill every Sunday and then said, I'm gonna run a marathon next week. I ran for 10 minutes, yay. It'll help a little bit. I may make it to gold dust, <laughs> better in the parking lot, but there's no way I'm making it all the way down there because I haven't, I haven't trained myself. I've invested in that. So here's my challenge to you. Where's your desolate place? Where do you go invest time with the Lord? Do you just say, you know what? I'm gonna push pause on everything because all of this, the world, your kids, your job, your family, it's not going away. It will always be there. You've got to commit to go away and find some time to spend with the Lord, to find a desolate place. Jesus was busy saving the world. If he could find time to do it, we got time to do it, right? So I have three desolate places. One's at my house. I lock myself in a certain room in my house. My kids know not to bother me. I just spend time with the Lord. I got another place. It's right up here. It's the Christian Science Church. It's right off of gold dust. I don't think it's even open anymore. Praise God. Uh, but nobody is ever there. And I pull my little white rodeo in there. I leave my phone here at the office. I turn off my radio and I just sit there and we and God talk. And there's sometimes where I'm angry, yelling at God. And there's sometimes I'm just worshiping, praising God. I'm sobbing with God. But for me, it's a desolate place where I can get away from everything and me and God just reconnect. And I get my eyes off of everything down here because it's so easy for me to get consumed by stuff that I pull into that parking lot and I go, God, help me forget all the stuff and let me just fix my eyes back on you. Would you re-energize me? Would you recharge me? Would you get me back to that right place so that I'm ready for whatever you bring me next? Third place is another place on campus here. I'm not even gonna tell you about it because you might find it and then it's not desolate anymore, right? It's a sort of secret place. But I'll sneak off there. I'll lock myself in this little closet and we'll just spend time with the Lord. And man, for me, it's encouraging. It builds me up. And I gotta find that time. And it's a discipline. And there's people that are vying for my time and there's certain things I have to say no to, but I need that space in order for me to be ready for whatever God's gonna bring next. Jesus had that. Jesus was constantly in community with the Father so that when he walks in on that donkey and he's sitting there going, God, I'm not looking forward to this at all. I'm not looking forward to this at all, but I trust you because God, you're good even when life doesn't make sense. God, you are good even when I, I can't figure you out. You're still good. Do we have that? And that's what we should all aspire to. That should, we, that, that should be the relationship with God that we aspire to. That we would be so in tune with the Lord that it doesn't matter what the world throws at us that we would go, you know what? It's all right. I'm so in love with my father. He's got me and my eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. Are we there? That's an unwavering faith. That's one that's not controlled by the world. That's what Jesus Christ had. That's what the crowd needed. Because here's what I know to be true too. You're not going to get everything you want from God. If you're, uh, I'm not even going to say it, okay? We're not a, a church that teaches God's going to bless you no matter what all the time, right? That's just not true. You're not going to get everything you want from God. God's going to say no a couple times. How do you respond in that moment? I'd encourage you guys, go read through Psalm 13 sometime this week. It's a beautiful psalm where David is just screaming out, yelling at God, not happy with God. But he ends that psalm amidst all of the, are you going to forget me forever? Why have you forsaken me? What is going on, God? I don't get it. I'm angry and I'm set. But I trust in your unfailing love. But I trust in your unfailing love. I don't know what circumstances you're going through. You may be sitting there going, who is this kid up here telling me just to get over it and fix my eyes on Jesus? Do you know what I'm going through? I don't. God knows. Knows exactly what you're going through. And no matter how bad it is or how great it is, God is still good in the midst of all of that. And we just got done singing about it. He walks through life with you and he is for you. 
And I tell, man, go read Romans 8.30, right? God is for us. Who could be against us? God is on our side. He is with us. Whatever you're going through, whatever those circumstances are, don't let that dictate your view of God. Don't let that dictate your relationship with the Lord. Don't find yourself going, God, if you fix this, then I'll believe you're good. And if you don't, then I don't believe you because God is good no matter what happens in this life. We need to recognize that and get our eyes fixed back on the Lord and not be so consumed by the stuff around us. So let me do this. Let me have you bow your head, close your eyes. I'm gonna, we're gonna spend just a little bit of time here, you contemplating some of this stuff with the Lord. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with, with this time. Again, I know for me, I've had to wrestle with a lot of this stuff because there's stuff going on at home that's not super exciting for me and I've had to give that over to the Lord. I don't know where you're at in this room. I don't know what's going on with you, but here's what I do know. Whatever's going on in this world, whatever the world's throwing at you, whatever those circumstances are that, that that are trying you right now, here's what God wants. He wants you just to lay those at the feet of the cross. He may not solve them. You may not walk out of here and have your wife call you and just tell you how awesome you are. That may not happen. But I know that God wants to be actively involved in everything and every part of your life, and he wants you to, to give that stuff over to him. To lay those circumstances before him and go, God, I don't, this doesn't make sense to me, but I'm gonna trust that you are good. Could you do that? Could you lay your stuff at the feet of the cross and say, God, I know that you are good and you are for me, and regardless of what's going on, I'm gonna trust you in the midst of all of this. And then for all of us, here's my, my challenge to you. Again, you've got, I'm going to give you a minute here in just a second, but I challenge you guys this week, find some time to go find your own desolate place. Just go be in community with God. If you need to yell at God, yell at God. If you need to cry with God, just go cry with God. If you just need to praise God and celebrate what God's done in your life and go brag on God for an hour and a half and he would love it. Any situation, any opportunity you have to commune with God, God's going to love it and God's going to redeem that and bless your life for it. Just make time. Don't get so caught up in the weeds that you can't fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So let me give you a minute. Commit whatever you need to commit to the Lord and ask God to give you space in your schedule, some margin in your time this week to go spend time with the Lord to prepare you for what's coming this Friday and this Saturday and Sunday. Then I'll close this out in prayer. Father, I have no idea what's been shared with you right now. God, I have no idea what circumstances or or situations that have been declared to you from your kids, but God, I know that you love each and every one of us in this room. God, you know the situation that I lay at your feet. God, how challenging and difficult it is and how lost I feel, but God, I pray that you would show up, that you would remind me of your promises. God, you would remind me of how much you love me, how much you care for me, and God, no matter how 
hard I try to do all the right things that you, you, you love me, whether things work out or they don't. God, I pray for people in this room that are hurting, that are going through stuff. God, I pray you'd give them the courage to lay that at the feet of your cross. God, you would find them in that moment. You'd scoop them up in your arms and just tell them how precious they are in your sight. God, those of us in here that just want to celebrate how awesome you are, God, we just heard so many testimonies from people that are just thriving in love with you. God, I pray that we would celebrate that as well. That we would just come to you and be encouraged. God, I pray this week that you'd give each of us just an opportunity to sneak away, to spend time with you, and that you would encourage us in that. God, preparing us for whatever you have next. Because God, we know life is gonna come at us. God, we wanna live it in love with you, not consumed by what's going on around us. So God, keep our eyes fixed on you. God, especially during this week and this weekend coming up, let us celebrate the resurrection and all that you bring to our lives because of what you did on the cross. So we love you. Thank you for tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys for being with us here tonight. We will see you all at Good Friday, either at five or at seven o'clock. Love to have you guys back for that. Have a great week. We'll see you.